Welcome to Off the Cuff with Congressman Jared Huffman. As a representative for California's 2nd Congressional District, Off the Cuff is my opportunity to talk with you about important issues and to introduce you to interesting people from the 2nd District and beyond. It's unfiltered, it's direct, and it's honest. It's Off the Cuff with me, Congressman Jared Huffman. Hi, folks. Welcome back to my podcast. Uh, we're going to talk today about the Electoral College. You know, we call the United States a democracy. And for all but one elected official in this country, that's true. My House colleagues and I are chosen based on who wins the most votes in our district. Same for senators and governors, state legislators, even our local mosquito abatement board uh, gets chosen that way, but not the president of the United States. Every four years in an election like we've just gone through, which Biden won by over 7 million votes, we still have to worry about this anachronism called the Electoral College that is what actually picks our president in this country. So it's a perfect time to do a deep dive on the Electoral College uh, because it turns out the Electoral College met just a few days ago. And today's podcast will give us a chance to explain what this relic of the 1770s actually is, how it works, why we do it, and uh, also what it's like to be an elector. And if all of this is so confusing and anti-democratic, what are the alternatives? I have two perfect guests for this conversation. My first guest is Erwin Chemerinsky, the Dean of the Law School at the University of California, Berkeley, one of our country's foremost legal scholars. And it turns out one of the many areas of his expertise is the Electoral College. He wrote an op-ed on it recently in the Sacramento Bee, suggesting that we should either fix it or maybe stop calling the United States a democracy. So um, Professor Chemerinsky, Irwin, he has told me I can call him. Uh, it's a real honor to have you. And let me just say that, oh, 30 or so years ago, back in 19 clickety clack, when I was studying for the bar exam, <laughs> um, you were the guy I studied on constitutional law and you got me through the bar exam. So thanks for that too. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's truly my pleasure. Our other guest, uh, fresh from the experience of actually being a member of the Electoral College, my appointee to the Electoral College specifically. Uh, he is a former San Anselmo mayor and council member, a serious lawyer in his own right, Tom McInerney. He's the managing shareholder of the San Francisco firm Ogletree Deacons. So welcome, Tom. Great to be here. Thank you, Jared. So the first question, and, and I think I should uh, go to you for this, Erwin, is um, fresh from my experience with a sixth grade class that I met with a few days ago. And they asked me the hardest question. Uh, they said, what is the electoral college and how does it work and why do we have it? And I, I did my best. I tried to explain it to them, but it's really hard to explain to a sixth grader learning about our constitution and our federal government uh, in a way that makes any sense, because it doesn't totally make sense to me. So, Professor Chemerinsky, can you help me out? I'll try. The framers of the Constitution at the convention in 1787 were uncertain about how to choose the president. Some wanted Congress to choose the president. Some wanted the governors of the state to choose the president. Some wanted direct popular vote. And then the suggestion was made to create this entity that we call the Electoral College and it issues the president. Every state gets representation in the Electoral College equal to the sum of the number of its representatives and the number of its senators. 
why did they want this rather than direct popular election of the president? In part, it was because the framers didn't trust the people. If you go back and read Alexander Hamilton and the Federalist Papers, he defended the Electoral College by saying that we should let the informed, the elite choose the president. In part two, it was because about the institution of slavery. Southern states, of course, did not allow their slave population to vote. Then if it was direct election of the president, none of those people would count in choosing the president. But article one of the constitution said, in allocating seats for the House of Representatives, slaves would count as three-fifths of a person. Since the Electoral College is determined based on the sum of the representatives and the senators, the Southern states benefited from this. And this isn't just hindsight. Hugh Williamson, who was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention from North Carolina, said this explicitly. James Madison, who was a delegate from Virginia, said this explicitly. And I don't think we can forget the slave origins of the Electoral College. Well, that's fascinating that uh, we know that that three-fifths provision in the Constitution uh, was how apportionment um, tilted things in favor of slave states. Uh, but we got rid of that part of the Constitution, and yet we're still stuck with the presidential corollary to that with the Electoral College. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. And the Electoral College is tremendously unfair and anti-democratic five times in American history and twice in this century, the candidate who lost the popular vote ended up as president of the United States. Also, a state like Wyoming, it's the smallest in population in the country, gets disproportionate influence because it gets two electors for its center and one for its representative. It proportionately has far more say in the outcome of the election than California. But the problem is, eliminating the Electoral College would take a constitutional amendment and the states that benefit from it will never ratify that amendment. And it takes yeah. three quarters of the states approving an amendment to change the constitution. Well, hold that thought because I wanna come back to the politics of the Electoral College and some of the alternatives to it. But I think before we do that, let's get a fresh take from Tom McInerney who's just joined a very elite group of Americans, those who have actually participated in the Electoral College. And Tom, tell us, what was it like? Uh, it was really fun, um, and exciting, a huge honor, um, and really unusual uh, experience and sort of, and very surreal, I think, in part because of COVID. Uh, we met at, uh, in Sacramento at the state assembly chambers. There was literally no, nothing else happening at the state capitol. It's closed um, except for the vote of the Electoral College that day. So the only people going into the building were uh, 54 other electors and some staff for this meeting. Um, but I think everybody was very excited to participate in it. And it was just a pretty memorable. They have like kind of a procedure in place that I think they probably followed for a long time. There isn't a, you know, it's not like any college I uh, had experienced before, but it, uh, it was just a huge honor and, and a lot of focus on it uh, this time. Unlike, you know, Sacramento, unlike Michigan and some of the other states, there were no protesters or anything else. In fact, when we came out, there were some people there cheering for us. So that was pretty cool. Okay. 
You, you didn't get caught up in any of that drama we saw in the news with other uh, electoral college gatherings, though. No, it was uh, seamless and, uh, yeah, uh, really a celebration of democracy, ironically, for the topic we're talking about. Um, but it was, I think everyone there was just excited to be part of this process. And we're all, everyone there was a partisan a uh, democratic supporting person. So it was a chance for us to, for a lot of us, myself included, to vote the second time against Trump. So I, I was able to legally vote against him twice in the same election. So that was cool. So uh, there's been a lot of talk in this election about uh, allegations of voting fraud and machines that may, uh, that some have alleged didn't count accurately, but could the electoral college be abused? I mean, Tom, what was to keep you from walking in there and casting a vote different than the outcome of the voters uh, in California? I, I, my, my sense is they've learned their lesson from over the years. There was virtually no way for me to vote differently. Um, I think there's, it's memorialized in state law that I had to vote the way I did. Um, I also had to sign a pledge beforehand saying I would vote for Biden and Harris. And then if that wasn't enough, the actual ballot, it's not like any ballot you've seen. It actually has the one name printed on it, Joe Biden, and I had to sign it and there was no way for me to actually put in anyone else's name. They also uh, had- they had also style uh, democracy. Exactly, it was. And they'd also told us if we were gonna vote differently, we'd be replaced, so. Um, there was never, and there was really no risk of that happening, but it's, uh, I think that it, they probably evolved the process over the years. So Dean, Dean Chemerinsky, uh, I know the Supreme Court has ruled recently on this issue of the faithless elector. Uh, we have state laws that take away that uh, threat. Uh, Tom just told us the ballot doesn't even allow him to deviate from the outcome. Uh, what can you tell us from a constitutional perspective about that? And, and if, if all of that is locked in based on the popular vote in the state, why do we even go through this drill and have electors? 33 states have laws that dictate how their electors will vote. And in June of 2020, in a case called Chathalo versus Washington, the Supreme Court unanimously held that states do have the ability to direct how their electors will vote. Justice Kagan wrote for the court and said, an elector is not there to vote his or her conscience. The elector is there entirely as an agent of the state. And my guess is by the next presidential election, it will be 50 states. And the reason this is important is that in all but two states, it's winner take all. Whoever wins the popular vote by however the narrow the margin gets all the electoral votes in that state. So even in a state like Wisconsin, where it was 20,000 votes, or Nevada and Arizona, where it was less than that, once one candidate wins the majority, they get 100% of the electoral votes. And it's not possible for an elector to say, but I think I should vote for the other candidate. Yeah. So there is one final step in this process. Um, Congress will convene on January 6th and officially Re receive uh, the outcome of the Electoral College and, and declare a winner. Is there any precedent, Professor, for Congress rejecting the Electoral College results and going a different direction? There's no precedent in the way the procedure is set up, as you know, it's impossible for this year. The electors for each state will be announced. And if a representative and a senator object, then 
The two houses will end their joint session for an hour and each will meet separately. But to reject the electors of any state would take a majority vote in the House and a majority vote in the Senate. It's unthinkable that the majority of the House controlled by Democrats would reject electors for Biden. And given that procedure, it's really a formality at this stage. In a different election under different circumstances, perhaps it could make a difference, not this year. Yeah. So um, that brings us, I think, to the subject of alternatives to the Electoral College and some of the reforms that have been kicked around. Um, as, as I count them, I, I think there's three potentially viable alternatives. One would be a constitutional amendment, and I will in, invite you both to talk about that. Um, the other is this workaround that some states have uh, pursued, the, and that is a, a compact among states where they would pledge their electors to follow the popular vote. Um, and I'd, I'd like to consider the pros and cons of that. And then uh, another would be to reform the Electoral College by statute. Uh, even though the Electoral College, if, if you were to replace it, you'd have to amend the Constitution. Uh, we can make some statutory tweaks to it. And, and I believe, and, and I'd like to ask uh, you know, your legal views on this, I believe Congress could statutorily uh, make it a little more democratic by requiring electors be apportioned proportionally within each state. So uh, let, let's go through those and I'd love to hear your views. Well, I'll start, but I will also defer to the law professor on some of the uh, uh, legal niceties. Um, I would be in favor of anything that makes us a more democratic process. So uh, as we've already alluded, it's going to be very difficult, I think, to pass a constitutional amendment. I think we should have one. We should, I think, most definitely get rid of the Electoral College. Um, I, I'd always historically been kind of concerned about if we'd moved to a popular vote, would that mean that candidates would just run around to the major cities and, and focus on the urban areas? And I think actually I've, I've, I've done quite a bit of reading on it. I don't think that in fact is the case. Of course, the campaigns will be different and there'll be people campaigning in many more states, which I think is all for the better. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're not, uh, it's going to be very difficult for any candidate to win just by kind of cleaning up in the urban areas. So I think they would still have to focus a campaign that is as inclusive as possible, including on bringing in rural voters and those in the suburbs it's, and, you know, and, and uh, communities of color and the like. So I think there would still be a focus on bringing a broad coalition, but anything that would be make, make it more democratic. In terms of the uh, a statutory change, I think um, you know there, there's very little that's addressed actually in the in the U.S. Constitution on the constitutional uh, on the electoral college. Um, you know, it doesn't even spell out. I don't believe the day of, that the electoral college meets. Um, and I think there probably would be a number of things that that Congress could consider. Um, including what you're alluding to, to make sure that it's more, in, at least rep, it's referenced in the statute, that it's more democratic and it reflects the vote of the people. I, and I, again, I defer to the, um, the dean on this, that I, I would have some concern about our current Supreme Court, though, um, addressing any such changes that by Congress or um, you know, you know, basically by Congress trying to make changes because I could see this um, potentially the Supreme Court wanting to restrict efforts to make it more democratic. Frankly, 
I would favor a constitutional amendment to eliminate the Electoral College and to the winner of the popular vote become the president of the United States. But as I already said, as we've, others have alluded to, I don't see a chance that that constitutional amendment can get passed. It takes two thirds of both houses of Congress and three quarters of the states and the states that benefit or perceive themselves as benefiting the Electoral College aren't gonna ratify such an amendment. Yeah. Now, I don't have the concern that eliminating Electoral College would cause the candidates to just focus on some areas of the country because they already do that. Yep. There were no ads in the presidential campaign here in California. I'm sure there were none in say Mississippi either. Candidates already make choices about where they're gonna campaign and where they're gonna spend their money. And this eliminating electoral college might change what they do, but still they're gonna focus on some places more than others. Yeah. The National Popular Vote Compact is an intriguing idea. Um, this is what it would say is the states would enter into a compact that each would pledge their electors to the candidate who would win the national popular vote. First, no red states have yet joined this. I'm skeptical that they will because at this moment in time, red states perceive themselves as benefiting from the electoral college. Also, I'm not sure it's constitutional. Under the compact clause of the constitution, this mm. is such a substantial substantive change. I don't know it would be upheld, but most of all, I don't think it's enforceable. Imagine an election where, oh, in this election, um, that Joe Biden wins the popular vote, but, um, Donald Trump would win the electoral vote if he carried the states like Texas. Do you really believe that Texas is going to say, oh, we'll give our electoral votes and make Joe Biden president, even yeah. though our state voted for Trump and our elected officials are Republican on him? And what happens if they sign the compact and simply choose to ignore it? So for all of these reasons, I think it's intriguing, but not a realistic solution to the Electoral College. The other downside that I see, Professor, and I have supported that compact workaround for California, by the way, because I'll, I'll try anything uh, to get us uh, around the anti-democratic electoral college, but I don't think it's durable because in a state like California, sure, if, if we can uh, leverage our electoral vote with the popular vote and uh, have an impact that aligns with our with the, with our outcome, it's, it's great. People love it. But the minute the national popular vote goes against our state, we're gonna want out of that. And there's nothing to keep you in. So I, I don't see it as a very durable fix. One thing you mentioned, I think you alluded to this, Jared, the concept of having all states move to the process that Nebraska and Maine have where they allocate based on congressional districts. I think that's an intriguing idea. There are challenges to doing it in that Number one, I mean, California, you know, most states probably wouldn't want to do it unless they all did it, um, because we would just, you know, if California went ahead with that, we'd be diluting our, our power, essentially, I think, in the Electoral College. Um, and I would also be concerned that uh, doing that would lead to more, even more partisan gerrymandering that we have now, yeah. um, potentially. But it, I, I would like, you know, as it currently stands, you have, in, let's say, in California, you have uh, you know millions, tens of millions of voters who are basically disenfranchised in the in the electoral college, and that that's not that's not a, the the right system that we should have. Um, and so I'd, I'd look for anything we can do to address the, those issues. So the, the statutory fix uh, 
Dean Chemerinsky, it would it uh, have to go with the number of congressional districts? Could it be based on the, could it mirror the, the proportionality of the, the popular vote statewide? I think it's important to focus on who could make that change. I don't think Congress could. I think it would have to come from the states because article two of the constitution says each state chooses how its electors will be selected. Now, I would like to see an end to winner take all. I wouldn't do it by congressional district. I would simply do it by allocate the electors roughly in proportion to, mm -hmm. as close as possible in proportion to how the popular vote came out in the state. So if Biden gets 70%, he should get 70% of the electors. If Trump gets 30%, Trump gets 30% electors and so on. The difficulty is exactly what Tom says. It's no one wants to engage in unilateral disarmament. Why would California do this unless Texas is doing it? And I'm not sure what the mechanism is to get everybody to jump altogether. But you're, you believe that whatever, if you were to, to try to democratize the Electoral College, it, it has to come from the state. You don't think that's something Congress can do? I think that's a reform that would have to come from the states because states get to decide how to choose their electors. And I think that it would help in many ways, certainly what Tom says right now, if you're a Republican who voted for Trump in California, you're a Democrat who voted for Biden in Texas, is if you didn't vote at all. Also, I've seen statistical analysis that if it was actually the Electoral College more closely proportioned in each state to the popular vote, it would dramatically decrease the chances that we would have a president who lost the popular vote. I'm just stymied of how do we get the states to do this? Yeah. Interesting. Even in a state like California that would love to see a more democratic process, um, your point about unilateral disarmament would pertain, right? I mean, California could decide to make its electoral votes proportional, but if Texas is winner take all in Florida and, and other red states, we would actually just be diluting our own impact in the presidential election. That's exactly right. And we have in California, as you know, a, um, a system of uh, districting that's uh, more nonpartisan. So we have, uh, you know, apparently, or I think more balanced congressional districts. And then if, if, we'd, if we went to that process and based it on congressional districts, I think we'd have a more representative grouping of, of electors, but then there'd be other states if they did it where they're doing partisan gerrymandering and it would, you know, it could turn out you go to like a Tennessee, for example, which, you know, very, you know, uh, gerrymandered where it's not the actual uh, vote of the electors would not be anywhere near representative of what the presidential vote would have been in that state. So. This is all very vexing. Uh, it's almost like anything we come up with by way of reform, you can't get there from here. So let me uh, challenge uh, you, Professor, to leave us with a little hope. What's, what's the path forward to try to squeeze some democracy out of the election of our president, or a little more than we have now? I think it is worth introducing into Congress, getting through Congress and trying to get to the states eliminating the Electoral College. I don't think it's an amendment that's gonna pass in the short term. I do think had the 2004 presidential election come out differently, we'd be having a quite different conversation. In 2004, had John Kerry won Ohio, he would have won in the Electoral College while losing the popular vote. 
And I think having had the Republican benefit from that in 2000 and a Democrat in 2004, we could have had bipartisan support to change electoral college. Right now, after the 2016 and 2020 elections, I don't see a way of it happening. But perhaps if we begin the effort now, there will be a point, maybe not in the too distant future, where we can get through a change. If we're a democracy, the majority should choose who's the president. Yeah, so that's a good point. The politics can change. And the more states that experience that incongruity between their the popular vote and this electoral college, the, the more support we might have uh, for a fix. It, it, almost, it almost happened in the 60s. Birch by almost was able to orchestrate a you know removal of the electoral college. And then you know it was blocked. And you know, we'll we'll have to see over the next 20 years what the demographic changes in the country may lead to uh, an opportunity to do this. Well, Dean Chemerinsky, I promised to let you go. So I will thank you now uh, for joining us. It's really been an honor to, to visit with you. Thanks again for getting me through the bar exam. <laughs> thank you for having me. And it's really a pleasure and be delighted to do this again sometime. And Tom, wonderful to be with you as well. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'm gonna thank keep you. Tom around for one uh, final question. <laughs> so uh, Tom, you are a, a creature of politics. You're a long time uh, a local elected official and an active member of the Democratic Party, I know you've been thinking about the Electoral College for a long time. Uh, and now, uh, you know, having gone through the experience, uh, how did it match your, your expectations? I, I, I guess I went in not really knowing what to expect. I, I did, even though we've been uh, dumping on the Electoral College in this discussion, it did validate and affirm kind of the uh, an important an institution in the United States. It was uh, it really drove home the, the historic nature of this election. It was very humbling. There was a lot of emotion on the floor of the assembly from uh, other electors there. I mean, it was a very diverse group. I you know uh, I was in the minority as a as a man, which was great to see. Um, it was uh, really representative of, of our state and it was just such an honor to be part of that. And, uh, you know, again, Jared, I, I really appreciate the opportunity and, um, you know, and I, I hope, I was gonna say, I hope others can participate and do, and, and do this in the years ahead, but at the same time, hopefully not if we can get rid of this process. And Well, I, I only get to name one person every four years for this and uh, you did it very well, but it does raise sort of this final question and then we'll wrap up. Um, so Alexander Hamilton was convinced that we needed this electoral college so that we could have this small wise group of men, uh, you know, there to sort of, give its imprimatur um, to whatever unruly uh, and suspicious thing came out of the, the voters. Um, and yet, you know, people don't know how electors are chosen. Uh, the truth is, you sent me an email and said, I'd like to be your elector. And I said, okay, you're my elector. And that's kind of how it works. Uh, there is no uh, just sort of grand process to make sure that only the wisest and the purest uh -huh. people do this. You happen to be wise and pure in your own way. But uh, what was Hamilton thinking, uh, uh, given the way this process actually works right. today? And think about how it actually turned out. Who was wiser in this process? In 2016, Hillary Clinton won by nearly 3 million votes, I think. And this time, Joe Biden won by 7 million. I think the people 
are actually much wiser than what some of our founders actually, you know, were feared. And uh, although I love the musical Hamilton and, uh, you know, and, and love his history and he was instrumental in the founding of our country, this is this is one area that he missed and was was wrong. So I, I have a lot more faith in the in the people than he did. Terrific. Well, that's, that's a great note to end on. Thanks for a great conversation. And to all of my listeners, thanks so much. We'll see you on the next podcast. Off the Cuff is produced by Marin's own Tales Untold Media. Our music is also local, provided by Temp Love. Don't miss out on future episodes of Off the Cuff. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Just search for Off the Cup with Jared Huffman.